Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks Downloadable Messages. This week, Pastor Mike Yearly continues his eight-part series entitled Songs of the Summer, a study in the Book of Psalms. And today he'll bring us the fifth message, The Power of Pain, based on Psalm 22. Good morning. I hear it's going to be cool, this cool from this point on. Is that right? Pretty much. The summer's over now, we're moving into the fall. And uh, I'm just really relieved. This feels more where I, like where I came from. And uh, Hey, we're going to be going to our time of teaching now. If you're new to Rocky Peak, special welcome to you today. Um, inside of your bulletin is a white note sheet called the Message Note Sheet, creatively titled. And uh, so you pull that out. That'll help you follow along today as we go through this time of teaching in God's Word. But let's uh, go ahead and pray and uh, commit this time to the Lord, and then we'll go into the time of teaching. Lord, thank you so much for another chance to open your Word together. Lord, we so much want to be a people that are gathered around your Word, because we realize it's from your Word that your life flows to us, God, and you open our eyes and you show us how life's to be lived, and we're just so thankful for that. And so today as we go into this, uh, Psalm 22, we just pray that you would um, bless our time, be with us, open our eyes to new things. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, uh, we're continuing this, summer, this series that we've been in for a while. If you're new, you can see it's called Songs of the Summer. It's studying the book of Psalms. We're calling it uh, the kind of top hits of ancient Israel. And uh, today we come to Psalm 22, and Jesus actually made Psalm 22 very famous because he quoted it from the cross. You may remember that while he was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you good forsaken me? But it's really a Psalm of David and flows out of a very difficult time in his life. You know, in life as followers of Jesus, there's a couple different kinds of difficult times. Let me describe them for you. There's one kind of time in our life we go through a very difficult time, extremely painful, life's falling apart, it's very hard, but God is right there in the midst of it with us. Have you ever experienced that? It's like a real tough time, but God is like carrying you through. It's the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not walk. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. And we just sense God's strength carrying us through supernaturally. He's really with us. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's one kind. That's not what Psalm 22 is about. <laughs> um, there's another kind of time, I think it's more rare, but if you walk with Jesus for any length of time, you'll probably go through a time like this. And it's a time when all hell's breaking loose in your life, but when you look to God for guidance and help, he just seems nowhere to be found. It's like your prayers are going to the ceiling, you know, there's no one on the other end of the phone, the best you're getting is an answering machine, saying, this is God, sorry I can't be there right now, but uh, I'll get back to you. And, uh, and of course, those are most, one of those difficult times of life. They create what we might call a crisis of faith because it calls into question everything we believe about God. God, I thought you were with me. I thought you were on my side. I thought we were going through life together. I knew there'd be hard times, so where are you? And it really causes us to question, is something wrong with me? Is something wrong with God? Is he really there? One of the reasons I love the Psalms is just because they're so realistic. They're so honest about the way life really works. And so today we're going to be looking at the psalm where David is going through one of those very difficult times in his life. It's a crisis of faith type time. And as we look over his shoulder, as we peer into his personal journal of that time in his life in Psalm 22, he's going to give us some, some kind of advice on how to go through a time like that. And so if you've got your Bibles, uh, which you should have, turn to Psalm 22. Now, by the way, if you're new at Rocky Peak, you get a couple weeks free. You don't have to bring your Bible. But then after that, pretty much we stop you at the door. You know, so uh, just want to make sure that you're getting the Bibles. You know, Costco, Sam's Club, you know what I'm saying. All right. Now, if you look at your note sheet there, I want to point out the structure of this message. Uh, we've got two major parts of this message. First of all, we're going to talk today about Psalm 22, the passage. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time walking through it because it's really long, a little complicated. I want to make sure we really hone in on what David is saying. And then we're going to come back and talk about Psalm 22, the principles. What are the life principles that flow out of this passage for our life? You look at that first section, Psalm 22, the passage, we're going to break that down further into three areas. First of all, we're going to talk about the place of pain. Uh, David is in a world of hurt at this point in his life. He's, uh, he's laying, in his words, in the dust of death. He's down for the count. He's about to give up, and he's in excruciating pain. And so we want to walk with him through that pain. We want to get there with him emotionally and say, what was life like for David? And then we want to come back and look at the next section is talk about the prayer of pain. 
and see how, how he processes this, this pain with God. And then we'll end up talking about the, the, the praise that comes after the pain. Apparently, uh, towards after this crisis situation, God must have come through in an amazing way. We don't really know how. But suddenly at the end of the psalm, the whole tone of the psalm radically shifts. We'll talk more about that at the end, okay? So let's jump in. Psalm 22. Let's start with a little intro at the top. It says, for the director of music. So this was a song that was written to be used uh, in church. And it's to the tune of the Doe of the Morning, which I'm sure was a top ten hit in those days. Uh, I don't know if it played today. It doesn't really say, and now your next song, we're counting the Doe of the Morning. Uh, I just, I don't really see it uh, working. But anyway, it was, it was top hit then. And notice it's a psalm of David. And so he starts off in this place of pain. And, and you know, it's interesting because some of the psalms, they, they start off in a place of pain, but it's not so severe pain. So many of the Psalms, like we looked at one last week, Psalm 25 says, oh, uh, he says, my God, I, to you I lift up my soul. So he's in a place of pain, God help me. But you remember what he says next, he says, I know that no one who trusts in you will ever be put to shame. And so it starts off, I'm in a crisis, I need help, and yet I know you're there for me. Well, this Psalm is not like that. This Psalm, the pain is too great. There's no time to be Pollyanna. There's no time to put a nice spin on it. There's no time to, to kind of clean it up and edit it. It's just raw and unedited. He goes right to where he's feeling. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from, uh, from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day. But you don't answer. You're not picking up the phone. And by night, I am not silent. Have you ever been there in your life? You've been married for 20 years. And your spouse comes in one day and says they don't want to get married. They want to be married anymore. In fact, they found someone else. You go to the doctor and the doctor comes in. His head's, eyes, his head's down. He won't, his eyes won't meet yours. He says, I'm sorry to tell you, but the tests are positive. You're 24 years old, you're a young woman minding your own business and one day, just out of the blue, these memories come flooding back of an uncle or a father or a neighbor who molested you when you're 10 years old and you've just totally been out of your mind and it all comes back and your world falls apart. Someone that you love is in a tragic accident and their life is taken way too soon or they're damaged for the rest of their life. You're, you're ready to engage. You're, you're ready to be married. It's two weeks from the wedding. Your fiancé asks you for a meeting at Starbucks when you meet. She tells you that she doesn't want to get married. You're 55 years old. You've worked in the same industry your whole life. There's layoffs. You're vulnerable. High salary. Behind the times a little bit on your education. You lose your job, and as they walk you to the door that day, as they escort you out, you realize you've not only lost a job, you've lost a career. You'll never work in that field again. Have you been there? Well, those times are hard enough when God is walking you through those times. But if you ever go through a time like that, and and God is just being silent, it creates a crisis of faith. Where is God? Can he be trusted? Have I been a fool to believe in him? So he goes on in verse 4. Let's skip to verse 4. He says, God, and you, our fathers, put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. He says, God, I've been in Sunday school my whole life. I know the stories. I know the stories about Gideon. I mean, you came through for Gideon. Samson, man, you were there for Samson. Joshua, Jericho. I know the stories of the fathers. He says, they cried to you, verse 5. They were saved. And you, they trusted. They weren't disappointed. Hey, but I'm not them. I'm a worm. I'm not a man. I'm scorned by men. I'm despised by the people. You know, it's not working for me, God. I know the stories. I believe the stories, but it's not working in my life. Skip down to verse 11. David begins to let us in a little bit what's going on in his life. There, there seems to be a couple things happening. One is that there's a conspiracy out to get him. Uh, someone's out to get him. Um, we don't really know when this was, but he feels like his life is in danger, and probably was, because he lived a very dangerous life. 
It could have been early in his life, those 10, 12, 15 years when King Saul was out to kill him. It could have been then. It could have been later in his life when he was fighting major foreign enemies. It could have been towards the end of his life when his son Absalom leads a military coup and tries to kill him. We don't know if it's any of those or maybe a different time. But he's under a time where he feels very vulnerable, that apparently he's one step away from death, from outside enemies. But it's also, from the text as we'll see, it seems to be that he's going through a tremendous time of physical suffering too. We're not sure if it's metaphorical or literal. We'll see it in a minute. But he seems to be going through a time of great illness in his life. You know, I talked to a friend recently. She's a lady that lives in great pain every day of her life, most days of her life. And she just found out that her mom, who's only in her mid-60s, has Alzheimer's. She's going to have to move in with him you know, pretty soon. And she could... It's so hard for her just to deal with her own physical pain on a daily basis, but she's hanging in there with that. But now you add this new situation. And, and you, have you ever noticed how pain is sort of geometrical? Like one plus one equals four when it comes to pain. <laughs> it doesn't just, it's, like, it's not addition, it's multiplication. Well, David's in a situation like that. His life is falling apart physically, enemies on the outside, and he knows he's a step away from the end. And so he prays in verse 11. He says, God, do not be far from me, for trouble is near. There is no one to help. And now he changes, and he's going to use some some animal metaphors from the animal kingdom here. He's going to say, you know what it feels like? He said, it feels like I'm a matador in the middle of the ring, and these bulls are around me, but instead of one bull coming at me, it's like I'm surrounded by bulls. He said, no, no, no. It's like this. It's like I feel like there's roaring lions around me, tearing their prey, and I'm next. Oh, no, no, no. I feel like it's like wild dogs, like dingoes from the outback in Australia, like a wild pack of dogs. <laughs> or like if you live in my house, which I do now. Um, <laughs> behind our house where I live now, we have all this open land, acres now, 20, 30, I don't know, 50, I don't know how it's huge land. It's owned by Rockadine. Um, we have nutrients in our water, thankful to them as well. But that's another <laughs> story. But because of this open land, we have like animals that come outside of our, our window and I woke up the other night and there was like coyotes out there. Not, not like one or two. I mean, it was like coyote party. You know what I'm saying? And it was dinner time. And there was some poor creature had to be in the middle because there was, you know, it was eerie. It was, if you ever heard these things just howling, they're ready to go. And it was, it was like freaky. Especially when you wake up three in the morning. It's like, guys, you know, get a life. Come back tomorrow, you know. I'm not doing anything tomorrow at three. Um, it was just eerie, freaky. And picture that. David says, I feel like I'm that animal in the middle. They're about, to, they're about to race in. They're about to pierce me. They're about to chew me. They're about to get me. He says, no, no, no. It's like, I feel like I'm a wild oxen, or like, like a wild oxen with the big horns is ready to gore me. And he's going to use some animal metaphors to help us understand his pain. Do you ever search for words when you're in pain? You just want the right words to let someone know how bad it hurts. So verse 11, or verse 12, he says, Many bulls, remember he's, he's like the matador without the sword. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan. That's the northern part of Israel, the great for grazing uh, animals. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. In fact, it's like roaring lions tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. Now he starts talking about his physical symptoms. He says, I'm poured out like water. All my bones They're like out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It's melted within me. My strength, I I feel like a dry pot. It's like dried up like a pot shirt. My tongue, I'm so thirsty, it sticks to the roof of my mouth. God, you've laid me in the dust of death. I'm going down. I'm face down. I'm ready to go. In, In fact, these dingoes, these dogs, these wild dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. In fact, I can count all my bones. I'm so sick and emaciated. I'm so thin. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat at me. I'm so close to death, they're dividing my garments among them and casting lots for my clothing. He's kind of picturing, like he's there ready to die. Everyone's on his bed going, hey, see that coat over there? Leather coat. Ralph Lauren, I love that coat. I want that coat. No, that's my coat. I get that coat. Let's, let's, let's bet for it. Let's, let's toss the dice. He's, and he's picturing this, people around him throwing lots 
gambling for his clothes when he goes. Who gets it? Interesting little sidelight here. Psalm 22 is not only a story of David's story. It's not only David's story. It's also a prophetic psalm. In other words, through the Holy Spirit, God was speaking through David. He's describing his situation, but he's also describing a situation that the Messiah, Jesus, would one day go through. And if you think to the, the cross, this is why Jesus quoted this psalm on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because this is what he was experiencing. The dogs, remember the Jews would call at that time, they'd call the Gentiles dogs. The dogs were around him at the foot of the cross. He could count all of his bones. His bones were out of joint. He was thirsty. They're gambling for his garments underneath. In verse 7, David says, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. What are they saying? Here's what they're saying. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Have you ever been there? People at your job or family or whatever, they know you're a follower of Jesus. You believe in God. You believe he's active in your life. You believe he's in your life. He loves you. He's got a plan for your life. He's working in your life. You believe that. You've shared that with them. They think you're crazy. And then all hell breaks you loose in your life. And what do they want to say? Many times it's like, hey, I thought you were a believer. I thought God was with you. Where's your God now? You see? That's what David's experiencing, and that's exactly what Jesus experienced from the cross. When they said, the exact thing was said, hey, he, he believes in God, let God save him if he's really the son of God, you see. So that's the story. That's the place of pain. David is in a place in his life where all life is falling apart. His health is falling apart. He's got enemies out. He's one step away from death. He's ready to go down, and God seems distant, nowhere to be found. He's in the place of pain. Now, the next section is called the prayer of pain. When we go through a time like this, if you've ever been there, you know this, it creates a crisis of faith. There's part of you who believes in God. There's part of you who doesn't. Now, the percentages will vary based on the level of the crisis. For example, you might be 50-50. You might be going through a crisis like half of you believes and half of you doesn't. Like, I know God's there. I know he's, he's been with me. He's done this in the past. I don't understand this, but I'm sure he's with me. Another part going, I don't think so. You must have done something wrong. He's gone. He's checked out. You got a 50-50. Other times when the pain gets great about you might get down to where you're like a 5% believer, a 95% not believer. And there's this battle for our soul that goes on inside, this struggle for our soul. Do we believe or not? And it's just, it's a ripping, tearing thing. And if you've been through this, you, you know that what this is like. And we see this in David as he struggles with himself. Look at verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, does that sound like doubt or does it sound like faith? Okay, this is not a real tough one. Let me try again. Would you say that sounds like really high-believing faith, huge trust, or do you think that maybe a little bit of doubt there? What do you think? Doubt. Okay, good, good, very good. That's good. It's getting nervous there. Uh, Boy, this is all over their head. Okay. Um, Okay, so it sounds more like doubt, doesn't it? But I want you to notice something. In the midst of this huge doubt, he's still calling God my God. Now, interesting. Why have you forsaken me? But he's still talking to God. And he's still saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? See? You see the struggle there that happens at a time like this? It's like we believe, but we don't believe. Look at verse verse 3. He says, God, why have you forsaken me? He says, yet you're enthroned as the Holy One. You're the praise of Israel. I don't get it, God. You're the, the God of our nation. We've experienced you in such powerful ways. Verse 4, and you, our fathers, put their trust. They trust it. You delivered them. You helped them. See this confusion going on. Verse 9. He says, God, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you. I mean, remember who's right? This is David. He's heard from God. You know, he's killed Goliath. The guy has an impressive spiritual resume. He said, God, you're the one who taught me to trust in you from day one. I've walked with you my whole life, but I don't get it. Nothing's adding up. You're not acting like you're supposed to act. Verse 10, from birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. So verse 19, but, but you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs, the dingoes. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. 
Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And so in the midst of this crisis, where God is nowhere to be found, we see a man with a crisis of faith calling out to a God he's not even sure is there. And yet he trusts. See, it's the way it is, isn't it? It's the way it is. Okay, third section. The praise after the prey. Now we, we go to a whole different section of this psalm, and it's, it's like David is either schizophrenic or something's happened. I mean, he's gone from, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In this last section, he's going to become this man of incredible praise and power and witness. And he's going to say, I've experienced God in such an amazing way in my life. The whole world needs to know God like this. In fact, he, he prophetically looks to the end of time where he says, people will come and know God this way and every knee will bow. And so he moves from this, this guy who doesn't even know if he believes in God to this guy who wants everyone to know his God in the course of a psalm. And it's possible that there he's lying in the dust of death and finally the Holy Spirit just gives him this revelation. He says, oh, I get it, and he gets all excited. I mean, that's possible. But I don't think that's the way life usually works. When you're laying in the dust of death where you're where David is, a revelation from God gets you through another day. It doesn't make you into a worldwide phenomenal witness, you know? I think what's going on here, it's a good reminder that these psalms are, are songs that were written, usually after the event. See, what David is doing is he's telling us his story about, let me tell you a time in my life when I felt so forsaken. And he tells us he's described the pain, the place of pain, the prayer of pain. And now he wants to describe the end of the story, the rest of the story. It would appear that what had happened is that right in the, in the nick of time that God came through and rescued David from what he was going through. And it transformed David's perspective. And here's the interesting thing. This man whose faith had been stretched beyond recognition, beyond the breaking point, this man now, after God has saved him, his faith has come back stronger than ever. It's the weirdest thing, how when you stretch our faith, how it comes back stronger. We'll talk about that later. But I want you to see this here. We don't know what happened, but obviously something happened. Verse 22, he says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, when I go to church, I will praise you. Verse 24, why? Because God has not despised or or disdained the suffering of his afflicted one. He said, I thought you'd despise me, God. I thought you didn't care about me. I thought you didn't care about my suffering. I was wrong. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. He said, God, when you weren't answering, when you weren't picking up the phone, I thought you weren't there. I thought you didn't care. I thought I'd done something wrong. I thought you were gone for good, but I was wrong. So in verse 25, from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. He says, when I go to church, it's going to be all about you. And before those who fear you or who trust you or your your people, the believers, before those who fear you, will I fulfill my vows. Now let me tell you this. Um, Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you tell God, if you just get me out of the jam, <laughs> then I will, and you fill in the blank, you know? <laughs> okay, if it's severe enough, we go, I'll do whatever, blank check. You just write in the amount, you know? Well, in the Old Testament, they would often take vows, and here's how it would work. You'd, uh, you're in a jam, and you say, God, if you'll get me out of this jam, I will let everyone know how you got me out of it. I, I will give you the praise for it. And so what they would do is they'd, uh, they'd actually go to the temple or the tabernacle and they would sacrifice the animals, a thank offering, and then they would barbecue it up and they'd share it with all their friends and they'd tell the story. Let me tell you what God did, you know, pass the ribs, this kind of thing. And it was great because the poor people who never got to eat ribs, they got there, they got some. And it was just a really time of celebration. And so that's what David's referring to here. And he says, Verse 25, from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, will I, I will fulfill my vows. And the poor will eat and be satisfied. And they who seek the Lord will praise him. Verse 27, and now he just starts going off. He says, God, he says, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. He begins looking into this distant future, prophetically speaking of a coming day. For dominion belongs to the Lord. He's in charge. He rules over the nations. And here's what's going to happen. All the rich of the earth will feast 
in worship. We talked about the poor getting to feast and worship. He says he sees a day when the rich will get to feast and worship. And all who go down to the dust, all who have gone through hard times like he has, they'll kneel before him. And those, those who cannot keep themselves alive like he couldn't. Posterity will serve him. Future generations, the next generation, will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. Isn't that great? And so we go from this guy at the beginning of this psalm is totally wiped out. God, are you even there? Are you even listening? Why aren't you picking up the phone? Totally depressed, ready to die, ready to check out. We've gone from a guy like that at the end of the psalm who wants to tell the whole world about his God. How amazing his God is. So that's the psalm. Okay, and I've taken some time with that because we're going to go through the principles a little faster, but I wanted to unpack the whole psalm, make sure we follow the flow. There's three things I want to point out, kind of three life lessons that flow, principles that flow out of this psalm. The first one goes like this, very upbeat, very positive message. Life is hard whether you follow Jesus or not. Aren't you glad you came to church today? It's like, man, it's just... When you say that, it just moves me. It's just, it's just so inspirational. You helped me get through another week. Thank you so much. Just got away with words. Uh, life is hard. Well, you follow Jesus. Now this, yet the funny thing is, is that many times we think when we come to Jesus and we give him our life, that we will be protected from hard times, that we'll get a, sort of a get-out-of-jail-free card, that we'll be exempt from hard times. And, and the reason I know we think this is because you can tell how we respond when we do go through hard times. We're always surprised, right? Like, what's going on here? God, where are you? As if hard times means he's checked out. See, the thing is, I, I really believe this from, from working with believers, you know, my whole life, is that w- most Christians don't think that following Jesus, you'll never go through any hard times. They understand life won't be perfect. We kind of get that. But to be honest, we don't really think in terms of wild dingoes or coyotes circling us at 3 o'clock in the morning. We don't visualize the hard times in terms of oxen goring us, or lions tearing their prey, or bulls charging us all at once. We know there'll be problems, but we think more in terms of termites, you know, um, uh, gophers, uh, field mice, bee stings. Yeah, we, we know life won't be tough. We won't be perfect. It won't be perfect. Yeah, there's going to be gophers in my life. I understand that. And I'll just trust God and set the traps. And We know there'll be problems, but we think of them in terms of pests, not tragic, terrifying, scare you to death type of enemies. And so when they come, they surprise us. Years ago, I read a book by a guy named Scott Peck called The Road Less Traveled. And, um, you know, by the way, I just like to say this, that, um, you know, often when I teach, I'll, I'll quote somebody, and, and by when I quote them, all I mean by that is I like this quote. I think he says it really well. There's a great insight here, says it well, that's what it means. doesn't mean I endorse the book. doesn't mean I agree with everything they said. And sometimes people come up, why would you quote that person, you know? And it's like, well, because they had a really cool insight there. That's about it, you know? Um, but he starts out this book. It's amazing. It's a, a, a bestseller when you start with a quote like this. But anyway, this is how the book starts off. Life is difficult. You've got it there on your note sheet. This is a great truth. One of the greatest truths. It's a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult. No, that's a little overstatement, but you get the point. Because once it's accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. Now, most of us, catch us, most don't fully see this truth that life is difficult. Instead, they moan more or less incessantly, noisily or subtly, about the enormity of their problems, their burdens, their difficulties in life, as if life were generally easy, as if life should be easy. They voice their belief, noisily or subtly, that the their difficulties represent a unique kind of affliction that should not be. 
and that has somehow been especially visited upon them or else upon their families, their tribe, their class, their nation, their race, or even their species, and not upon others. I know this moaning because I've done my share. This is an amazing thing about me. Now, now, I'm the guy teaching today. You'd think I would know this. I don't get this. Life is hard. I can hold that truth for, well, how long is a goldfish attention? Real small, right? That's about it. Life is hard. I get really clear on it. Okay, Mike, don't expect. Life is hard. You know, we live in a fallen world. God said it's a world of thorns and thistles. It's a world of pain. He, he told us that. It's a fallen world. It's not the way it's going to be when Jesus comes back, but it's a fallen world. Life is hard. And yet, in my own life, I find I can hold it for about five minutes. And then I think, hey, let's move on now. You know? Now, Jesus told us this. Um, Jesus warned us about this. There in your note sheet. He tells his disciples, the last night he's with them, before he's arrested, in fact, it was the worst night of their life, by the way. Maybe the next life will be even worse, but it's the worst, worst weekend of their life. Let's put it that way. And he's about to get arrested, and they're about to lose everything, and then he's going to be killed and tortured the next day. I mean, all hell's breaking loose. And look what he says. He says, I have told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows. Now, underline that, many trials and sorrows. See, we read that and we read gophers and mice. Seriously, we do. We don't read roaring lions, rushing bulls. When he said, hey, you're going to have many trials, the next day he was going to be killed and tortured and they had to be run for their lives. See what he's talking about? That's, that's wild animals. That's bulls. That's, that's the big stuff. Okay. One of the reasons I love the Psalms is because they are so honest with the way life really is. Okay? Life is hard. If you're a follower of Jesus, there may come times in your life you go through really hard things. Now, why am I telling you that? Because when you get there, I don't want you to have a false conception of what it means to follow Jesus and get blown away because you think there's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. It's the way it is. That's why this psalm is here, to say there are times in life you're going to be surrounded and terrified, and there's even going to be times when you don't think God is even there. And that's normal. And I love reading that because I need that kind of thing in my life. Because I don't know about you, there's times when I can't be Pollyanna. There's times I can't put a good face on. There's times where I'm face down and I'm blown away and I'm in the dust of death. And the thing that's most helpful is to have someone say, it's okay, you're not messed up, you're on track. Hang in there. Number two. The second thing, the second principle that flows out of this psalm is one that we've talked about a couple times in recent weeks. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I want to note it because it's so important, is that we need to be honest even in the midst of the pain. I love David's honesty in this passage. I love it when he starts out the psalm, he just says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't dress it up. He doesn't smooth out the raw edges. It's raw. It's real. It's unedited. And I love it that he models this for us. You know, here's a guy. I think about this with me. Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. You're my rock. You're my salvation. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. You rot and your staff, you come for me. You prepare a, a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Okay? Fast forward, Psalm 27. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Even when the enemy comes upon me, I will not fear because I know you will save me. Okay? Psalm 18, Psalm 23, Psalm 27. Okay, let's rewind Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Right? Aren't you glad the Bible's so real? That it doesn't just give us the good parts? And aren't you glad that David models this? Hey, when you're going through the time in your life when you feel, you know, more like the bug than the windshield, you know how the song goes, sometimes you're the windshield, sometimes you're the bug. 
Okay, when you go through life and you're the bug and you're splat upon the windshield of life, it's okay. It's okay to groan. It's okay to whine. It's okay to say, my God, my God, where are you? It's okay. I love it that he models that for us. But he not only models honesty with God, he models honesty with one another because you may not have thought of it, but guess what? This is a page out of his journal. (laughs) He's sharing this with us. David could have gone through this hard time and never told us. He could have just written the Psalms, I love you, the Lord, my God, and you're my strength. The Lord is my shepherd. He could have just said, Psalm 23, that's it, you know? But no, he wrote Psalm 22. Why? Because he wanted us to know his story. He shared his story with us. He was honest not only with God, he was honest with us. You know, I found as believers, as followers of Jesus, that many times we're afraid to share honestly with one another. Many times we'll share in retrospect. You know, we'll share a crisis we went through 10 years ago. You're sitting in your life group. And someone says, you know, there's a question, you know, have you ever gone through a time when you feel forsaken? And you say, oh, I, I have. Let me tell you about this. We were going through a time, it was 10 years ago in our marriage. And, and we couldn't stand each other. We couldn't stand the sight of each other. And we thought it was over and it was horrible. And we, and we share and we get done. Everyone says, thank you for sharing. Thanks for being so vulnerable. And, it's, and they were. And it's a good thing. And it's a good place to start. But what a different thing to walk into your life group this week and say, I got to tell you, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. I feel so forsaken. I know it's working for you guys. I've heard your stories. I've seen it work in my path, but I'm not even sure I can believe. Can I buy this anymore? I don't even know. My life has fallen apart. I lost my job. I found out I have cancer. My kid's in jail, and God is silent. You know what happens when someone, if someone were to share like that in most of our life groups? Here's what we'd often do. We want to correct their theology right there. We, we just get real uncomfortable. Hey, someone's challenging God. Whoa, we need to defend God's honor. We need to rise up. No, no, no. God's really big enough to handle himself. <laughs> he really is, you know. The bully on the playground, he's really bigger, you know. He's really okay. You know what we need to do? We need to put our arms around that person and shut our mouths and weep with those who weep. And we don't need to say, hey, all things work together for good. I'm sure it's great. It's like, there's a time for that message. (laughs) You know, timing is everything. That's not it. That's not the time. No, no, no. They need our arms around them. And we shut up. And if you've been there yourself, the best thing you can say is, I understand, I've been there. I was meeting with someone the other day who was going through a very difficult time, someone I know well. They were saying they're not, they're not sure they can even believe God anymore. They can't trust Him anymore. And I said, you know, I said, I said, that's totally fine because it's not a time for you to trust. This is a time for us to trust for you. Look what the Apostle Paul says, Romans twelve fifteen. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You see? Okay. Here at Rocky Peak, what's this church about? One of the things it's about, I'll tell you what it's about, we're creating a community where we feel free to be honest with God about what's really going on in our heart, and then we're creating a safe place for others that they can be honest about what's going on in their heart. I talked to a lady today after the service. She came up. She's a brand new believer. Comes from a family with totally atheistic background. And now she's probably, I don't know, 40 years old or whatever. And she's coming to Jesus the first time in her life. And she said, you know, I I really believe, but I've got a lot of doubts. (laughs) I said, hey, that's normal. That's normal. You know, welcome to the family, you see. We need to create a kind of environment, see? We're honest, we're real, we're authentic, we're the real deal. We don't have to pretend. All right. Now, number three. Now, this third principle, I want to give it, but I want to say something first. Today we talked about some tough things, and I've got to tell you this, is that, um, you know, sometimes when life is really painful, there are no easy answers. I don't want to come across like there are and be trite, 
I don't think there always are. I mean, the, the Bible tells us a lot of things about why life is like it is. We're in a fallen world, and and it's not perfect. And he, he tells us a lot of things, but he doesn't always tell us why we go through our tragedy. And there is no answer sometimes to that. Let me tell you a little bit about just my last three weeks, last few weeks of my life. Uh, just people that I know. These are all people who love Jesus, committed to him, walking with him. The church that I served at before, got a, a call a few weeks ago about a young man, 24 years old, a great guy, loves the Lord, was running for school board in our area, even at the age of 24, because he wanted to bring some more moral values and direction into the school system. Driving home from a college group event one night, 25, 30 miles an hour on his, on his uh, motorcycle, not goofing off, Four houses before he gets home, he hits a pothole in the road, country road, and he goes down. The doctors are saying he's going to be paralyzed for the rest of his life. I talked about this friend of mine earlier, this lady who lives with tremendous pain almost every day of her life and now finds out her mother has Alzheimer's and she has to somehow take care of her in the midst of her pain. I talked to a man here at Rocky Peak recently. His wife has been had a serious illness, has been treated, and the signs were all great, and she's been symptom-free for a long time and just found out recently the symptoms have returned, ragingly returned. Can I tell you something? There are no easy answers for that. These aren't things that we go up and say, well, here's the verse that solves it. There are no easy answers for these things. And yet in the midst of that, there's something the Bible says to us about our pain that's very profound. It flows out of the psalm. It's the third principle, and it goes like this. That God grows us through the process of pain. Pain is not a good thing. Uh, It's a bad thing. In fact, when Jesus comes back, we're told that he will remove pain for those who are his followers. That he will wipe away every tear from their eye. It's the old order has passed away. The new things have come. But in the meantime, in this fallen planet, planet Earth, he uses the process of pain to shape his warriors. Now think with me, when we want to create a warrior today, what do we do? We want to create like a Navy SEAL. We want to create an Army Ranger, a Ranger, the Delta uh, Force. What do we do? We take these, these guys, these people, and we stress them out. We put them under situations that are emotionally, physically, intellectually beyond their capacity. We, we create pain in their lives. And we stretch them beyond their, to their breaking point and sometimes beyond. And you say, well, why do you do that? Do you hate these guys? <laughs> no, no, no. We just understand that's how you create a warrior. You take someone to their, their, their point of exhaustion, and when they come back around, they're stronger than ever. And that principle works in spiritual life as well. That what God wants to create a warrior, that often one of the tools he allows things to happen in our life that stretch our faith to the breaking point, to the point of exhaustion, to the point where we're face down in the dust of death, barely able to cry out, and we think we'll never be able to trust again. And then when he brings us through, we find in an amazing way that our faith is stronger than it's ever been. It's just the weirdest thing. I don't know if you've experienced this. I've experienced this several times. Where I've gone through times in my life where it's like face down, dust of death, and say, God, I don't think I can, I'm trusting you, but I, I am a, my faith is exhausted. I don't think, I don't know if I'll ever be able to trust you again. And then I come back and I heal and I find that in a mysterious way, my confidence in him is stronger than ever. And you see that in this psalm. He starts off with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This man totally in the dust of death. And he ends up, being, saying he wants to tell the whole world about his God. Now, how, how do you take a man and create him into a warrior for the truth? You take him through Psalms 22. <laughs> you walk him through a life experience like Psalm 22. If you want to create a warrior for truth, you take a person through that process. Now, how many are excited about that? <laughs> are you want to sign up? <laughs> Whoa, you know, Awesome. That's just great. Now, I wish it were different. I wish it were like, well, how do you create a warrior for the truth? Well, let's go to Disneyland, you know? 
I, I know, take a vacation, go to Europe for three weeks, you'll come back spiritually strong. Okay? Have everything go right in your life, blessing after blessing. Wouldn't it be awesome if that's the way you got strong? <laughs> I mean, I'd sign up for it. I'd be doing seminars, you know. Be Tony Robbins and me. Here's how to do it. But that's not how it works, is it? No, that's how it works. If you look back in your life, and you see the times where God's grown you the most, you'll find that nine out of ten times, it was a time you were stretched beyond your limits and you thought you couldn't go on and God brought you back and you came back stronger than ever. It's the way it works. We see this all through the Bible. There in your note sheet, Romans 5. Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings. What are you, crazy? You crazy, Paul? You're like, you're nutso? No. Why? Because he knows that suffering or pain that it produces things in our life. Like what, Paul? What does it produce? Well, things like perseverance, like, like endurance. It produces things like character, like the character of Jesus. Uh, it, it, in particular, it, it produces the character piece of hope. What's hope? Hope is about having unshakable convictions about the goodness of God and the your future that he has planned for you. That's what hope is about. It's been totally clear and unshakable about that. How do you get that kind of hope in your life, those kind of convictions? Well, you walk through Psalm 22. That's how you do it. James 1, 2 through 4, next one. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Really? Come on. Pure joy? Uh, I think I've got other ideas. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials, hard times, of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith that's what Psalm 22 was. It was a testing of his faith. It develops perseverance. It develops endurance. Now catch this. Perseverance must finish its work. In other words, you have to go through the end of the story, the end of, of Psalm 22, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. How did David become mature and complete, not lacking in anything? By going through the process. Process of pain. I'm not asking for a show of hands here. But how many of you want to be mature and complete, not lacking in anything? Or maybe some of you are like, you're just really good with being immature. Yeah. Now, Mike, I, to be honest, I just really like being immature. You know, it's all about me. I like it that way. I, I'm real needy. Everyone takes care of me. I whine all the time. I get what I want. Um, I'm really, my goal is mediocrity, Mike. I, I'm shooting for mediocrity. You know, I'm just... Barely enough to pass. I love being immature. In fact, I love being lacking. Because I find when I lack, that other people make up the difference. I'm there for my goal in life. Be, no, no, no. We don't want to be immature. You don't want to be lacking. You want to be complete, don't you? You, you don't want to lack anything. That's what you want. You're a follower of Jesus. If, if you don't want to grow up, then I got, a, I got a question for you. Do you have the DNA of Jesus yet in you? Have you truly been born again? Because his whole goal in your life is to grow you up and create a warrior like he was. And if you say, I just want to coast, I don't want any part of this, i got a question for you. Are you really born again? Have you really given your life to Christ? You see? Has that, has that transformation happened in your life? Do you need to go back to the basics and say, God, man, I'm not even sure I am your child because I, I don't even want to grow. I don't want to get bigger. I want to stay a baby. You see? It's how he grows us. Let's step back. Let's talk big picture now. Wrap it all up. No easy answers to life. Why the things, the tragic things you're going to go through or that I go through are going to happen. Until we get there, we won't know how it was used, how it was part of the grand plan. We won't know all the big schemes. We won't see how God uses it. But here's the things the psalm tells us to do. When you go through a time where all hell is breaking loose and God seems nowhere to be found, a couple things you need to know. Number one is you're normal. <laughs> it's okay. Nothing wrong. You're on track. Number two, the only way to make it through a time like that is learn to be honest. Honest with God. Honest with people. Let them carry you through. Let your friends carry you. And number three, when you're going through a time like that, I just want to plant this seed that it will bear fruit in your life down the road. 
that though life makes no sense, I want to encourage you that God does have a plan. He's working to shape you to become like his son. And at the time where it seems the darkest, I want you to hold on to that light, hold on to that seed, hold on to that hope. Because God shapes his warriors in times of Psalms 22. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this. So it's it's not really a fun psalm. It's um, it's so much funner to talk about Psalm 18 or Psalm 23 or Psalm 27. And yet the reality of, Lord, we live in a fallen world and we're all going to go through really hard times and some of us are going to go through really hard times we're not even sure you're there. And we're thankful that you counsel us in this psalm how to go through a time like that. Lord, we pray that we'll learn to be honest with you, honest with others, and to trust in you when the, when the night is the darkest. Because so like David, we can come out at the dawn and be stronger than ever. We pray this in your name. Amen. It's part of the vision here for Rocky Peak that we'd be a place that is an honest place. We, we would learn and grow in our ability to be honest with God and honest with ourselves and, and with one another. And that we'd be creating a safe place here that we can walk through life, do life together. And uh, today, David has given us a model of how to do that. If you're in the midst of a hard time right now, may God be your strength. And may you hold on as you go through this difficult time until the day breaks. Next week, um, we'll be looking at Psalm 51. The message is called How to Get Right with God. I'm really looking forward to it. You know, sometimes we... Become, we wake up and find ourselves far from God, not because of any one major choice, but because of a series of small distractions and choices. We wake up far from God one day. Other times, we, we find ourselves far from God because we know we're doing the wrong thing. We're just kind of choosing to do it anyway. But either way, how do you come back? How do you find your way home when you've been far? And I love Psalm 51. We'll call it Psalm 32 as well as we talk about that together. It would be a great opportunity. If you have maybe a friend you've been wanting to bring to church, um, it would be a great time to do that. Uh, it would be a very appropriate message. I'll be giving a chance at the end too for people who want to make a decision to follow Jesus the very first time and to come close to God. We'll be given that opportunity. And so I'd love to, uh, you know, if it, if, it, if it works for you to bring someone, it's not good. I want you to be aware that's coming, okay? Have a great week. We'll see you next week. And uh, may the Lord strengthen you this week. Bye-bye.